wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class, redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at WrestlingTWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is, in all my magnificence, you're going to be mine. Here's Jonathan Hood. It is Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We turn to a uh, friend of the program who has a new book, My Life in the WWE and Beyond Under the Black Hat, written by Jim Ross, the voice of wrestling, the voice of all elite wrestling. And also you can catch his podcast, Grill and JR, wherever you download your podcast. And Jim Ross joins me here on ESPN 1000. JR, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. I always love it, Jonathan. Good talking to you. Hey, I want to find out before we go into the book and, and um, I want to find out how you and your family are doing throughout this uh, this COVID-19. This is, has been devastating across the country and the world, has it not? Yeah, it has. Uh, my oldest daughter, father-in-law, passed away on Easter Sunday. So my grandchildren are down to one grandpa now, and you're talking to them. So it's uh, it's indiscriminate. It, it destroys things, this virus, and it's very deadly, obviously. And I hope that people start taking it more seriously. Just, you know, the simplest re- solution, we've heard this. Uh, we've been told this. Stay home. Stay home. Protect yourself. Protect others. Protect your family. So, uh, but it's, it's just challenging. I'm getting a little stir-crazy. I haven't flown in about three weeks, I think. And I don't know when I'm going to fly again. I, I'm going to voice over the uh, Moxley-Hager uh, no-hose-barred title match on Wednesday night, which I really am excited about, getting back in the saddle a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, you know, I'm, I'm dealing okay. You know, we, I, I'm over at my warehouse right now uh, signing books. So I'm, I'm enjoying things. I, I, every day we have a chance, Jonathan, as you well know, buddy, to have a good day or not. And I'm doing everything I can to eliminate all the negatives as best I can and just have good days. So that's my goal. Today I want to have a good day because tomorrows aren't guaranteed. Yeah, a lot of this is part of your book as well that I want to talk to you about. Where where do you place, Jim, the process of writing this book among other challenges that you've had in your life? Well, a lot of it was very cathartic. Uh, writing about, you know, the I picked up or Slobberknocker left off. And it's, so it's just a continuation of my autobiography. But it covers some, a lot more contemporary topics. It covers some things that are uh, people are going to have a better recollection of. The first book was starting starting to the beginning, my you know fandom, and, and then getting into the wrestling business. Now, uh, we this book, as you, you read it, you said the, this weekend, mm-hmm. it covers the Monday Night Wars and the Attitude Era, uh, working for Vince, as uh, close as I did for a quarter of a century. Um, covers XFL launch, original, all those things. And uh, the, the most sensitive part of it, obviously, is writing about uh, my wife Jan's death in March of 17. And that kind of closed the book. That was our finish. Uh, and uh, so it's got a lot of 
interesting topics about it. I think uh, different from the other one. You know, just chronological, it's just going to be different. So it's a it was a great exercise. Paul O'Brien is an amazing writer. He's in Ireland, and he and I uh, we have one more unique uh, techniques. You know, we 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 talk on the phone several times a week. We would uh, we text, we emailed, we did everything we could and. Uh, to communicate regularly. And so we did that, and I think it turned out pretty good. JR, you know, it, it is interesting that um, for for you and I as broadcasters, and I, I've been doing it a long time just like you have, you know, our egos can get in the way because all we want to do is just do a good job, and we want to be able to put our best foot forward, provide for our families. But, I mean, being in that spotlight, something that you and I crave, we crave on being on the air, doing a good job, and providing, a, you know, painting a picture, and if you don't mind, I'm going to read from page 221 the best, what I think is the best quote in the book, and that is um, talking about Jan. And, and also, by the way, with this book, we're able to l- learn more about Jan than we ever have. Uh, you said, Jan, look me right in the eyes. I wish that you could see yourself as they see you, see you sweetheart, talking about when the WWE wanted you to work uh, the Sean and Taker match for WrestleMania. The The key quote for that, Jim, is, you can't let your worth rise and fall based on your airtime. Oh, that, that, uh, oh, I mean, and, and, and this is why it hit me so hard is because when you have a wife like mine who has said something very similar and then you read it in a book and she says that you can't let your worth rise and fall on based on your airtime. Well, you and I, all we know is just to get on, you know, turn on the, the microphone and, and talk and be able to work hard at it. But She's so right, and my wife is so right when she says the same thing. That, to me, resonated with me more than anything else in this book. Well, thanks. Uh, hey, she was – I always looked at myself uh, kind of a role-playing a coach's role when I was head of talent relations and managing the roster and, the, and our team doing the recruiting and scouting and signing and all those things. Uh, just uh, – she was the best. She was mm-hmm. – you know, we had – when talents would come through Stanford, you know, they may have a meeting at the tower with Vince and myself or just Vince or just me, whatever. But more, a lot of times, you know, she was cooking dinner for whoever was in town. I remember one very vividly, uh, Big Show came over, and she had these uh, eight-inch Italian tiles in her home. And he sat down to eat, and, of course, uh, he was pretty good-sized at that point in time, and he broke one of her tiles, and she never, she never wavered. It didn't bother her a bit because... Well, we can fix that, and, and and that's how she looked at things. No problem. Just enjoy your dinner, and so uh, and then Austin comes over, and you know we talk half the night and, and reminisce and just shoot the breeze, and you know he hasn't he hasn't done his laundry in a few days because he's been on the road. So guess what? She volunteers to do Stone Cold's laundry at our house. That's just kind of woman she was. She she loved people, and she helped me to see a, a better light in a lot of things. You know, to her, she never saw a half empty glass. Ever. Always have full. Jim Ross with me, Jonathan Hood, on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000. You can purchase this book under the black hat from Jim Ross, wherever you get your books, Amazon and uh, other places to get the book under the black hat with Jim Ross. Uh, I want to find out your, your thoughts about the about Vince McMahon, because uh, my thought on it as a, a fan is this, is that, you know, watching the ebb and flow of your career with the WWE. And I was so happy for you because I was already a Mid-South UWF guy watching you in the NWA and then seeing you get on this stage. It was great. But just 
Jim, the reason why that I think that many people say that you're the best of all time in the voice of wrestling is because no one's ever had to endure what you've had to endure in your spot. I mean, there wasn't, I, I, there was never a time where, you know, uh, Gordon Soley or, or Bob Caudill, uh, or, you know, or Ed Whalen had to put on, on tights. You know, if, if Soli had to do that, he'd probably look like Mr. Wrestling too. So it, you didn't want it. No one's ever had to deal with that. And so you had to deal with that. I mean, at the beginning, when Vince wanted you to start wrestling, what was going through your mind? Because that's something that you hadn't done before on a regular basis. Well, I was uncomfortable with it because a couple of reasons. One, egocentrically, I, I didn't think I'd be very good at it. And I wasn't. Uh, and it was new, uncharted waters, like this coronavirus. We don't know where it's going to end. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know when this other, this other journey was going to end as a, as a very weak parallel. Uh, I just, didn't have confidence in my ability. I always felt like when I got in the ring, I was kind of like a cow on ice, a little clumsy. Uh, didn't think it made any sense. And uh, and the other reason was for me to be in a segment on Monday Night Raw, for example, uh, it knocked some other talents uh, who was making a living doing this full time uh, out of the TV time. So uh, that's kind of how I looked at it. But, you know, the sad part about it was for me and in the well, so that is a good part, is that the quarter the quarter hour ratings were were enough of a of a indicator. But then, Jonathan, they got the minute by minute ratings, and so on the minute by minute ratings, I guess tuning in to see Jr. in their squared circle is kind of like watching a, a NASCAR race, just waiting for the wrecks <laughs> and the crashes. Uh, so it worked from a rating standpoint, and so I, I'm thinking, well, you know, if, if it if it if it if it had bombed, I probably wouldn't have to do this again. But it worked, and so then I I looked at it in a less egocentric way and said, "Well, I've got a I'm helping talents get a rub. I'm helping talents quote unquote get over. So just go out and do your job, whether you'd like that job description or not. It's irrelevant. So we did it quite a bit, and quite frankly, I think at the end of the day, it might have added a little bit to my popularity because people can see my consternation and see that these were tough situations to be in. Uh, you know, I think Vince has had a good time uh, uh, ribbing me and having fun with that with the Jr. character. But the sad part about that was what bothered me was I never played a character. Well, that was me, and so I took that a little personally from time to time. Probably my fault in that regard. But I didn't want this book to be a hatchet job about Vince, uh, and it's not. At least that's my opinion. You read it. What do you think? No, I don't think it's a hatchet job. It just tells the story of what you went through and then on the other side, what Vince meant to you because he didn't have to go into the ring and talk about, you know, talk about how much um, that he that you mean to the company. Didn't have to say they didn't have to have Jr. Day. Didn't have to have those conversations, you know, how much, how much he was happy about, uh, happy about your career. So, no, I don't think it was a hatchet job. I just think that you were transparent in what you went through and then how you were able to come whole with him on the other side. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy, quite frankly. I have great respect for Vince. You know, he, he helped Jen and I make a great living, helped establish our future. It's just too bad that she's not here to enjoy it in that respect. But, you know, I, 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 if I needed something today, Jonathan, I got Vince's number, and I know that he would come through if I needed something. And... It works both ways. If he needed something from me, I'm loyal. I'm always going to be. I'm loyal to Bill Watts right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm loyal to go- people have helped me along the way. I, I, I'm not going to turn my back on them because we have philosophical differences. 
I tell a lot of sports guys, and you're one of the best sports guys I know, here's a real good easy analogy. I was the offensive coordinator, and I wanted to run the wishbone. Vince was the head coach. He wanted to run the spread. So guess what offense we ran? The damn spread. <laughs> the spread, yeah. So, and so it, sometimes when I did get in my way back in some of those earlier years, uh, my impetuousness, uh, I was a little hard to handle sometimes, a little bit of a handful, because I, I believed that my way was the right way. And maybe it was, but it didn't matter because the boss wanted to do something else, and that's what we did. Well, ultimately, your way is the right way, Jim. It's just that he wanted, to, like you said, he wanted to run a different play. So I, I get it. Uh, I'll ask one other thing about Vince. If you are not in that feud with Michael Cole and if you are not in that rap battle, which is just completely embarrassing, you're just so so ridiculous, <laughs> such bad, eye-rolling television. Um, but this yeah. is Vince, so I'm I'm not surprised um, because you're going to get that from time to time because it's, it's, it's him. That's what he, he wants to see. If you're not in that feud and if you're not in the rap battle with Michael, is, is Vince happy and giddy and proud of you in that moment? Because he says you got it, which meant now you get sports entertainment versus pro wrestling. It seems like it was a breakthrough for him because all you want to do is just do business. Yeah, and all he wanted to do was get ratings. I, I get that. I understand that. Your boss wants you to get ratings too. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. That's how we're measured. Uh, quite frankly, and I, sometimes it's not even, it's not fair, but, but that's the way it is. That's the way the game is played, and uh, and so uh, he he was never disappointed in any of my performances. But like I said, if they had not worked and the minute by minutes weren't favorable, then we would have moved on. I thought that we hit the bottom of the barrel trying to have matches with Michael Cole and Jr. because neither one of us are trained, uh, neither one of us wanted to do it. We weren't emotionally invested in it. We did it because we had to do it. And that's not a great reason to be cast in a role. you got to do it because you have to do it. Uh, nobody asked if we wanted to do it. So I, I don't think that I, – I felt bad for Michael because all of a sudden Michael becomes this villain. And the last thing you want your play-by-play guy to, to be is your is the villain. He's got to be the honest, upfront, straightforward person that the people can trust, like your local weather guy. you got to trust him. And so uh, – uh, and he got – now he's working his way out of that, but he was probably a couple of years, maybe more, I don't know, uh, that he had to deal with that. And it was tough. It was tough for him. And I felt bad for Michael Cole because he had a lot longer career left in him than I did there. So, uh, But nonetheless, we survived it and uh, and moved on. As you said so, so eloquently, I've always tried to come out on the other side with a positive take on things. Under the Black Hat is uh, written by Jim Ross and Paul O'Brien. Again, wherever you get your books, find Under the Black Hat with Jim Ross. A great, not a good, a great book about life and about love and about passion. And Jim Ross joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday here on ESPN 1000. JR, what is the, the differences or similarities in Austin Rock and Orton and some of these other wrestlers that you recruited in that great class uh, versus some of the young locker room in AEW? Well, uh, man, that's a good question. It's hard to bundle all those guys together. You know, we had some great classes there. And our team, our talent relations team, uh, with a great Jerry Briscoe involved in recruiting. Jerry Briscoe started recruiting Brock Lesnar when Brock was a junior in college at Minnesota because Brock was a wrestler there, as we all know, for Jay Robinson. And Jay Robinson wrestled with Jerry Briscoe at Oklahoma State. So we had an end there. 
Uh, and that was a unique story of how we recruited Brock. I wrote, write about that in the book. Uh, I think the common denominator, but the only one I can think of is that they by and large all have passion and they want to be a star. You know, uh, rock knew he was Brock knew what he wanted to be. He wanted to be the top guy, but he had to go around Austin and Austin was, knew he was a top guy, but he knew he had to fight off the rock and all these other guys chasing for that top spot. It's just a matter of, I think, passion. Uh, Jonathan, you know, we got a bunch of kids that have not been to the big game yet. Uh, they're young, 22, 23, 24 years old on AEW, uh, that you can see every Wednesday night on uh, TNT, eight, seven central. And, uh, I think it's that mental thing because physically everybody's going to be different. Everybody's going to should be judged on their own individual merit. But I think attitude and uh, the mind, the, the, the mind frame. And now the question is going to be Austin and rock and all those other guys, Orton, all those guys we signed Cena, Batista, they went the distance. They took it as far as they thought they could take it. And, but they had to make a lot of sacrifices just like a ball player. To get to the big game, you got to make a lot of sacrifices. And quite frankly, uh, I'm not sure yet, you know, uh, how, 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 if these young kids know that, John, if I'm, if I'm making any sense, sure. I don't think they understand the journey that they got to be on and stay on and devote themselves to to get to that promised land. So, uh, but I think we got some great kids and we got a lot of guys that have scores to settle. When Austin came to us in WWE, WWF, at the time, he was pissed off at the world. He had not been treated, he thought, fairly. And he had not been uh, given an opportunity, a fair opportunity, to be in the top spot. And that reminds me of John Moxley. John Moxley is the closest thing to Stone Cold that I have seen in wrestling since Stone Cold. Because he Moxley left WWE unfulfilled, unsatisfied. Those were his words. And he wanted a, a clean slate and a chance to be the top guy. And right now, John Moxley is the face of AEW, and he's going to be involved in the most important match of his career for us, for sure, on Wednesday night. The reason why I asked that question is because uh, of how revered that that uh, locker room was that you put together, that recruiting class. And I just look at in a lot of those guys coming from Deep South, coming from o, uh, OVW, uh, from Florida Championship Wrestling, and they all come into the mix now, and they are they have become or were WWE superstars. And so then we look at AEW, and I see a lot of these guys from the independents. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's what you talked about, Jim. It's about hunger. I just want to know if that that, that locker room is hungry enough. I guess that's got to develop in their gut at some point because that's got to show on television on a regular basis. Every week, I'd like to see that hunger just like we saw during that attitude era of that class you put together. Well, I, I like our chances of accomplishing this. It's just you can't make a definitive statement, yay or nay, until you proceed down the road on the journey. But we got some great young kids there at AEW. I mean, you know, Darby Allen, for some reason, Darby Allen has uh, electrified people, and he's, I, I say it all the time, he's like a young Jeff Hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sammy Guevara, uh, big-time young kid, 24, 25 years old, reminds me of Eddie Guerrero. But I've been in the business long enough where I'm not comparing them to those people. They remind me of them. when I And that could be, when I talk to Sammy, Sammy's got the same basic attitude, the little chip on his shoulder, that Eddie had. It's, and a lot of these kids are trying to overcome size you're told they're too little to go to wwe we're not big enough you're not big enough to be in wrestling old school people say you got to be so big or you got to draw attention to the airport when you walk through blah 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 
but we got some great young talents. You know, the Moxie, Hager, same deal. Hager's an amazing athlete. He had 30 pins in one season at OU, set an all-time record for pins. He's an All-American wrestler. He's undefeated in MMA. I know he has the motivation, and I think folks are going to see that on Wednesday night because uh, this is going to be a knockdown drag out, and I can't wait to see it. Uh, but that's I think we're going to be fine. We just got to get back in the groove, man. We just This empty arena stuff, uh, you know, all this, the, the things that we're all, all of us are having to endure, that's a lot more damn important than pro wrestling, let me tell you. Uh, but we got to get back in the groove and get past this virus and, get, and, and re- continue to rebuild our momentum, which I thought we were doing quite well uh, until uh, the, the, the virus uh, struck everybody. Jim, you write in the book about uh, about AEW making that transition from New Japan Pro Wrestling to AEW, and I, I loved your work in New Japan because I thought you and Josh really meshed very well from the beginning. Actually, it was it was really good, and it was uh, it's a different pace because I was not necessarily a big New Japan Wrestling fan, but I got into it because of you, so I was able to watch and understand it a lot better. And so going to uh, to AEW and working with Tony Khan young jittery guy that seems like he knows everything about everything about wrestling in the past uh, what was it like in that first meeting talking to tony khan and which convinced you yeah this could be a good fit for me well i met tony khan speaking of new japan he and alex marvez alex the great uh, nfl insider for uh sirius xm uh works at gil brandt so how could that be bad mm-hmm. uh but alex and and tony came to Santa, to long beach for the uh new japan presentation on access tv we did, we did a, a saturday and a sunday show uh that we broadcast and uh that's where i first met tony and he had no we didn't have any talks about him starting a wrestling company we just talked about wrestling in general and i realized this mid 30 year old kid 34 35 33 whatever he was at that time is uh he he could he was quoting things jonathan that i had said and and, and at the time i said them he wasn't even born. He goes back. He watches tapes. He, you know, he he was an early ECW fan. As a little kid, his dad would take him to ECW. Uh, he, he's just a, a major consumer of the product. And I think this kid's like Rain Man. Tony Khan's a Rain Man because rest, my God, he's he's got this vision and he's got all this. He's got this. It's like a computer in his head about wrestling. And so I knew that, you know, it was a fun weekend to meet him. And then all of a sudden. You know, the my contract's getting ready to come up at WWE, and I had no desire to begin negotiations. I'd done 26 years, and I was happy with it and thankful. But I need to move on. I need to play. I don't want to be that guy that's sitting on the sideline wearing a visor and a, carrying a clipboard. I want to go on the field and play. And I thought I had a little gas left in the tank. And so uh, Tony worked out a deal very quickly. We had a my uh, agent, Barry Bloom, who has, represents a lot of the wrestlers and two talents, uh, that was done in a matter of days. Tony really wanted me to come to work for him to be the voice of his brand. Cause he grew up, I was the voice of his childhood. He told me many times. So, uh, I was, I was very, it, it bailed me out, man. I'm telling you, cause I was sitting home I, in 2018. I worked twice. I got booked two times. I worked in New York city to do raw 25. And while I sat out in the, in the, in the old arena there for like three hours, we had one three minute match. It was horrible. How, how the two voices of Monday Night Raw that, that helped earn the biggest ratings in the company's history had nothing more than a three, four-minute tag match. It was beyond me. It was insulting. And then I uh, made the trip to uh, Saudi, Saudi number one, 
And uh, that was quite ex- the experience. So that's all I did all year. I mean, I got paid. I got every cent I was owed. I mm-hmm. loved that, but I didn't love the isolation. I'd lost my wife. I had no, I needed to do something. And leaving old JR by himself to make his own decisions sometimes is uh, the never ending happy hour. So I had to get around here, man. So yeah. I, I, anyway, that was so I met Tony and, and I, I've loved this relationship. He is so enthusiastic. You know, he, he returns my texts right away. He, he, we, we talk to each other on the phone. You know, I'm a senior advisor there. So I, I consult with him a lot. I give him ideas, give him creative ideas, him and Cody and the other guys. So I'm a part of the team, and I'm the oldest guy on the team. I'm a mentor. I'm the old coach that's coming in, and the, the, all these young guys who grew up watching my work and listening to my work now get me to call their matches. They think that's a huge deal. And, man, I think it's a huge deal, too, that they think that way. So we, uh, I love it there. I, I love the enthusiasm. It's like going to work for this really cool expansion team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we've got some players that have been the big game. Jericho is amazing. Chris Jericho is the reverend of reinvention. He keeps reinventing and reinventing. So, uh, you know, I, and I, I like our roster. I like bringing in Lance Archer. Big get for us in New Japan. World's largest former quarterback. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Luke Harper uh, comes in. Not Luke Harper now, uh, but him coming in is another veteran that has something to prove. So we got this unique mix. And maybe the common denominator in the AEW locker room is we have something to prove. And this is our field. This is our team. And here's how we're going to prove it. The voice of all elite wrestling, uh, Jim Ross, author of the new book, uh, Under the Black Hat. Wherever you pick up your books, make sure you get uh, Jim Ross's new book, uh, Under the Black Hat. Um, So uh, also, I want to just give a teaser for uh, our listeners of Chicago. There is a mention of of Jim being... um, mentioned uh, and introduced as someone that's going to go into the WWE Hall of Fame. It took place at uh, the Allstate Arena. Uh, two largest pops in the history of the WWE, Rock and Hogan in Toronto and you, <laughs> and you being announced at going to the Hall of Fame. That was that was long sustained, brother. You should have stood up there a little bit more. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was trying to sit down. Walter kept pushing me up because after the show, he said, Vince said, don't let him sit down. Don't let him sit down. This is too good. You know, they had told before that that happened. They had told Todd Grisham that we're taking Jr. off the air in September when the new season starts. You're going to take his place. So I think I went to the Hall of Fame. Comes well, Jr.'s been around a long time. He's done a good job here. He and Lawler going to the Hall of Fame in 2007 together is not a bad thing. And I was the uh, last guy announced, and it was there for the All State Arena. The maybe the greatest moment of my career. It, I, I really believe sometimes it trumps the actual Hall of Fame ceremony. But not quite, because I can still, I can still look out in the Hall of Fame crowds and know exactly where Jan was sitting, and what she was wearing, and the perfume she wore that night. Everything's embedded in my memory. Uh, but it was an amazing thing, and I think that ovation in Chicago extended my career on Raw, knowing that they wanted to get to somebody else and move me off that spot uh, for whatever reason. I think, or look, age. In Southern, can't smile, the bell's positive, blah, blah, blah. Stuff that should bother a lot of people. And it bothered me as you read that book. I had a hard time handling my own self, lack of self-esteem. And that's where that little tight moment I married in Pittsburgh came into play and kept me propped up and uh, and do right and live right. So uh, 
Yeah, that was an amazing moment, Jonathan. I, that was I had ne- I would never have predicted that in my wildest dreams. I swear to God, I didn't think I knew that people would be politely clapped, but how they uh, how they received that information was uh, man. It was it still gives me chills as I sit here and talk about it. Well, Road Warrior prop, brother. That's what it was. That's what <laughs> yeah, you got, right. brother. It was a Road Warrior pop. It was well, and it's well deserved. <laughs> that's why. That's why I say. That's why I would tell you you should have a crib here. I don't know. It, you're always flying through here anyway. You might as well just have a crib here too, because you you don't have to pay for a meal here because this city loves you so much. Uh, you, you you fly all over this country and around the world. No one's gonna love you like Chicago and Oklahoma, but Chicago for sure. I love Chicago. I the last time <laughs> I spent Thanksgiving in Chicago, off the record, off the grid, mm-hmm. I stayed four seasons. Just hung out for about three four days. And uh, I had the dentist Thanksgiving buffet there. Ooh, my God. But I love uh, Chicago, and I love, you know, like Gibson's. I, I, just, I, I discovered the Gibson's downtown to compliment the Gibson's at, uh, out at Rosemont. Mm-hmm. So I'm a Gibson's guy, big time. But I know that they're not the only great, the only place to get a great steak in Chicago, and, and the, your old fat buddy here enjoys the red meat. <laughs> so a- after this, JR, you know, it, I'm turning the pages and I'm I'm reading uh, the remainder of this book on Easter Sunday. And so I finished it uh, right before dinner on, on Easter Sunday. And I went to the acknowledgments and you know what? Damn it, I want it more. <laughs> I want it more. I, after, after reading these pages and reading the, your journey, uh, especially the parts with Jan, which is just so heartfelt and it makes you really understand what she meant to you in your life. So... Is there another book that could be coming in the future? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I got hooked up with Simon & Schuster for this book, for, uh, Under the Black Hat. And uh, they have been amazing, absolutely amazing. And uh, we're under a new uh, imprint called Tiller Press. And uh, Tiller Press is the newest baby in the, in the Simon & Schuster family. So I think <clears throat> we have a good shot of making it a... Uh, Another New York Times bestseller. I've had three, mm-hmm. and uh, this was this could be the fourth one. And I I can't uh, I can't tell you how much, how important that is to me. And by the way, Jonathan, uh, yes. if anybody wants an autographed copy of my book, personalized, like uh, to Jonathan type deal, uh, you can do that at jrsbbq.com. That's our little website here in Norman, where we we house and ship all of our uh, our condiments, our sauces, ketchup. We have great mustard. One, one gram of fat, jalapeno honey mustard, jrsbbq.com, and I will send you a uh, uh, signed book, personalized, customized bookmark, and I will pay the freight, the mailing, in the lower 48, and it's 40 bucks. So jrsbbq.com, and we're, I'm, that's what I'm doing today. I'm just, and I have a blast because people ask the damnedest things to sign, to say. Right. And so... Uh, you find out where our fans' minds are, and sometimes you're not sure if you write it down. You know, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> All right, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you what, and I can't wait for that next book when you had that ode to Bob uh, Bob Carpenter when you did Rodeo for ESPN. I can't wait for those chapters when you break oh, <laughs> oh, my God. When you start well, you breaking gotta... it. <laughs> How old are you, for God's sake? <laughs> The voice Sorry. of all, the voice of all elite wrestling, Jim Ross. Again, the book is under the black hat. And don't forget to support his podcast as well with Connie, Connie, uh, Conrad Thompson. Connie. 
uh, Grillin, <laughs> Grillin JR, the podcast wherever you download your podcasts. It's always my pleasure, Jim. Thank you so much for coming on. You, you bet, buddy. And seriously, uh, if you if you uh, uh, will get on that website, jrsdbq.com, and let me know it's you, uh, I'll get you. A, well, I'll get you a book, but at least I'll have your address, and I can sign it for you, and we'll send it to Chicago. I really appreciate it. Thank you so yep. much, my friend. All right, buddy.